Welcome, everybody, to episode number 36 of the Average Jake Firefighter Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Owens, from the Average Jake Firefighter Blog. A fireman, to be successful, must enter buildings. He must get in below, above, on every side, from opposite houses, over brick walls, over side walls, through panels of doors, through windows, through loopholes cut by himself in the gates, the walls, the roof. He must know how to reach the attic from the basement by ladders placed on half-burned stairs, and the basement from the attic by rope made fast on a chimney. His whole success depends on getting in and remaining there, and he must always carry his appliances with him. As without them, he is of no use. And that's a fire service quote from Sir Massey Shaw, chief of the London Metropolitan Fire Brigade from 1866 to 1891. And uh, that leads us right into the discussion we're going to have today about building construction with Tim Duffy. Uh, Tim has uh, a significant amount of experience in the building construction arena and has now got about 15, 16 years in the fire service. And so he's taken his fire service background and his building construction background from framing houses and building commercial structures and owning construction businesses. And he's kind of put those together for a pretty unique perspective. And it's going to add some some depth, I think, to our fire ground operations. Um, maybe leave you with a few more questions than you have answers, but I think that's important because it, it allows us to go out there and research some of these topics ourselves and educate ourselves. And, and that's the goal here of the podcast is to highlight some people that maybe you haven't ever heard of, but to also get you to expand your mind. And even if you don't agree with some of the things, you go out there and you research them and you look at them and you maybe apply them on the next fire that you go to. So I really think everyone's going to enjoy this conversation with Tim Duffy. Uh, and again, he's got some articles out there in Firehouse Magazine. He's got uh, some teaching engagements coming up that we'll get into in the interview. But uh, really, I think you're going to enjoy this interview with Tim Duffy and this conversation about building construction and, and really where we're missing some things possibly in our initial firefighter training and in the fire service in general. So sit back and let's get in, into the conversation with Tim Duffy about building construction. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Average Jake Firefighter Podcast. Again, as I said in the intro, super excited to have on Tim Duffy for a great discussion about building construction and uh, just some of his experience with building construction. He brings a unique perspective to the table when it comes to building instruction, uh, construction. rather. So without any further ado, I'll bring on Tim. Tim, thanks for joining the listeners of the Average Jake Firefighter Podcast. Uh, no problem. Thanks. I'm excited to be on. Thanks for having me. Gotcha. And again, thank you for so much for coming on. And, uh, you know, before we get started into the building construction conversation, just give us a background on one. I know you have a unique perspective on building construction because you actually were involved in construction work for a majority of your life. But give us a, a background on your building construction knowledge and your fire service knowledge. Sure. So uh, on the building construction, and that's all I've ever done, right? Started out with a uh part of a vocational school while in high school. Um, it's all I ever did. It's what I love. Worked my way up through, uh, started about 16 and continue to do it today. So I got about 27 years or so, 28 years doing it. Um, and worked my way up through on my own company, some large projects, small projects, uh, framed a lot of houses, probably over 500 homes and, uh, built some very large commercial buildings too, 30, 40, 50,000 square feet. Um, and had some time on the inspection and uh, code end of it also part-time doing some stuff. And when I got into the fire service, I quickly noticed that I thought we might be doing this a little bit different. Knowing, having almost 12 years in construction before I got into the fire service, I said, man, what are, what are we learning here? What are we... I don't think someone coming in without any construction experience is really learning much about buildings. Um, so I was about 30 when I got into the fire service. So, uh, well, 28, maybe um, 15 years. So I have, you know, 26, 27, 28 years in construction and only about 15 in the fire service. So I had quite a bit of experience when I got in. 
uh, quite a bit of building construction experience when I got into the fire service. And that's what kind of made me think right from the get-go. I had an awful lot to learn and still about fire, but I knew quite a bit about building construction. And I was questioning a little bit of our methods and how we were teaching people. Awesome. Well, <clears throat> that kind of brings us right into the point there when you start talking about the differences and what your experience was with construction versus what we're being taught at a firefighter one and two level. Uh, what do you think is the biggest misconception or biggest you know, misteaching that we're learning in our basic firefighter training versus your 20 odd, 20 some odd years of experience framing houses? So, so the biggest thing I would say, and, I, and it's not really misteaching, the stuff we're learning is relevant, but if we take any of the certification-based curriculum, which I know we have to teach, I know that is what it is, and I teach it, there's out there, but we take that, we're learning, what, five types, the fire resistance ratings associated with those types, um, that's kind of like, my analogy I use, it's kind of like taking pumps off pump ops before you know what nozzles are out there right um you you are learning about buildings that you don't know how they're built yet so if we knew more about nomenclature and the materials <clears throat> used and the methods to build the buildings it would be more relevant when we did learn about five types of buildings and and now hybrid buildings and the fire resistance ratings and why they are important that stuff is important but if it's all we ever learned, if somebody from the fire ser or new to the fire service comes in and doesn't understand building construction at all, all they get out of it when they're done, if they go take no other classes is here are five types. I'm going into one of these five types of buildings and here's the fire resistance rating. And that doesn't teach you what a joist is, what walls are load bearing, what materials are used. It doesn't teach you any of that stuff. I got you. So what you're saying is, and, and essentially what I'm, what I'm getting out of that is that we should probably be doing something before we get into the building construction, like actual five types, correct? Like maybe we should go out there and have guys actually frame houses, perhaps. <laughs> well, I, I would love it. I mean, I, I, I laugh uh, and I talk to some of my, my friends who are also instructors. And I think the next hands-on class I'm going to do is two days and we, we build a mini home the first day and then the next day we'll burn it down slowly and do fire behavior on it and uh you know that's how i learned that's how i understood building construction was building and knowing about it but even if we spent more time on nomenclature and materials and and nomenclature can be regional right we may call things different in the northeast uh that they will call in the midwest but at least for your region you know, if you take a firefighter out of a career academy, out of a recruit academy that with no prior building construction experience, and we walk into a building tomorrow and you say, hey, take a, look, take a look at those rafters. Have they ever learned what a rafter is or where it is? Probably not. So they know five types and they memorized how to pass a test with the fire resistance rating on a type one building, but still don't know how to identify a rafter or a joist or a beam or a girder or sheathing. So I think somewhere along the lines that has to happen. And if it doesn't happen in the, you know, firefighter one or canned curriculum or in the recruit class, it has to at least happen back at the department. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you've brought, you brought up a lot of really good points and it's kind of got my head thinking a lot. What do you, uh, what do you think we could do to, because again, firefighting is very regionalized, right? Like what you call something in, uh, in upstate New York or, or where, or in New York rather, it's very different than what I would maybe call something in Virginia. I know I got into a, a discussion with someone of, you know, a, a tri-level versus a split level uh, versus a split level home. Cause we have a lot of tri-levels and what we call tri-levels and split level homes here in Virginia. What do you think uh, we could do to maybe, to lessen some of that like disparity between regions in the country. So, so, and I've listened to other much smarter people than me talk about this, uh, you know, whether it's on podcasts or, or spoke to them uh, after classes. I don't think we could ever, I think it was Aaron Fields who, who, who said, you know, we need to normalize the, the terms that we use throughout the fire service, which is a huge feat, but I don't, I don't know if that'll ever happen. So at least regionally, the instructors regionally should 
should hit on these items that, that I, th- I think that I'm talking about, the nomenclature, the, the, the terms that we would use. And I think it's fair to say that in your region, what you identify as a bi-level or tri-level may be different than someone else's. But if that's what everybody's using, that is the correct term for your area, right? Um, Absolutely. I, 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 I think that's okay. I think it's okay to have five or six different terms as long as it's all not within the same region. And we know that that happens all the time. Um, so we would try to eliminate that. But, but just for nomenclature, for instance, um, you know, uh, a girder and a beam are highly used interchangeable, right? And if you, if you talk to a builder or a, someone in the construction industry or even a steel worker, they would have specific defined terms for, for those things. And I'm not too concerned if we get into a building and someone calls something a girder or a beam in a wood frame building because I know what they mean. But if I was never exposed to what either of those were, I wouldn't even know which direction to look in the building. And, and, and I, that, that's kind of one of the areas I think we're missing, the nomenclature. And, and those terms may be used differently for materials in different regions. Um, you know, at the end goal, in the end, you have to know your area, know your buildings, know what you call them, know what you expect to find in your area. And if you call a tri-level, a bi-level in your area, that's perfectly fine as long as everyone is and we understand how they're built, what they're used, what we're calling, you know, floor one, floor two, things like that. Okay. So as we, you know, again, like I said, you've got my head kind of thinking a lot because the, uh, because I think you're right. And, and, and again, I've listened to that same conversation that Aaron Fields talked about. And and I, and I kind of uh, am more aligned with what you think is that, you know, regionally that in order to, to take the terms of the fire service and building construction and all these massive industries that we're in and to reach and, and to take them down to where it's a common nomenclature between everyone. I just, I don't think it's very feasible, but I do agree with what you're saying and that it needs to be regionally or even within your department. You know, that if, if, like you said, if someone calls this a trial level, as long as everyone's calling it a trial level, then that's okay. That, you know, Aaron Fields, or not to disparage him, but he doesn't need to know what my fire department calls a trial level. He's not coming to work here. You know what I mean? So it, I, I definitely agree with you on that. What is probably, which leads me into, into this, what do you think is the biggest difference in your firefighter training of what you learned about building construction versus your just formal uh, construction training as, as framing houses and building commercial structures. What do you think is the biggest difference there? So here's where, and I'll, it'll come back around to that. One of my pet peeves is the buildings are going to kill you uh, method of building construction, right? So I've heard it plenty of times from some really good people, you know, buildings are built to kill you. Buildings are going to kill you. Well, if we start off with that, there is, we're, we're not learning anything, right? And we know we're going to operate inside buildings. So the, the difference is, I, I guess, uh, if, if I could sidebar and say, absolutely, in just about any wood frame building, in almost any fire condition, I'd be willing to go in. If I know what materials are used, the error of the building, and, and the common characteristics of that building, right? And having a building construction experience, I, I feel lucky enough that I can figure that stuff out in the first 15, 20, 30 seconds, uh, you know, after arriving on scene. So I'm not worried about a building killing me. I'm worried about figuring out the characteristics of that building, what it's built out of, and then determining where I should be or shouldn't be or what are my, what are my challenges within that building. So I don't think we do a very good job, myself included, teaching that. I think we teach, don't teach how to put the building uh, components and materials and align them with our operational tactics or strategies. We, we say, well, we do it with balloon frame. And that's one of the only examples I see we do it with. We talk about balloon frame and we harp on, you know, here's what we have to look at strategically or tactically because of a balloon frame building. But we don't do that with all the other materials and all the other components. So I had some experience building buildings. And when I got to the fire service, fire service and started learning tactics, I said to myself, well, wait, 
I, I can use this tactic in that building. I know that how that's built. I know where the load bearing walls are. I know I don't have a potential for collapse here or probably don't have a potential for collapse. So I think if we back up and learn more about how the buildings are built, why they're built that way and the materials used, we can start placing or people, new firefighters, even, even veteran firefighters can start placing some of these tactics and aligning them with that specific building, maybe in your area or that type of building in your area. You know, if I have a thousand tri-levels and I know how those buildings are built intimately, I can make some very good, both aggressive and both uh, decisions that will, you know, maybe it's time to get out of here. Very good decisions. I can really hone in on how that building is going to be affected by fire. Yeah. So, so let's keep going down that, that rabbit hole for a second. You talked about how, like, you know, with your building construction background, you know, there's almost no building that you would be afraid to go into or think is going to kill you. Uh, and because you can size these buildings up with the materials in the era in about 15, 20 seconds, give us some, give us the, the listeners. Cause most of the, most of us that are listening and, and, and most of the people that, that are out here are, are tactical based firefighters, right? Like we are, we are, you know, hose pullers, uh, first two chiefs, you know, uh, first two command officers, company officers, things of that nature. Give us some of those tips and tricks that you use from a construction background to identify these buildings so that we can be safer. Sure. So I'll give you, I'll give you a real good example from, from, let's say, this region that I'm in. So you take just about any city in the Northeast, and they have two-and-a-half-story balloon frame wood structures right and they're 20 to 24 feet wide and 30 to 36 feet deep two and a half story walk-up paddocks and they are really good at putting those fires out i'm not saying i am saying they are these cities that go to those fires multiple times a week right they know the characteristics of that building they know where the stairs are where the closets are you know the the hazards the exposures and they use the building to their advantage so They've are, people have already been doing this, right? The senior people within those crews or those departments take the brand new firefighter and say, hey, here's what we're doing in this building and here's why and here's where we're going every time this is going to work. When you see it here, this. So now that's been working. You know, people have been doing what I'm talking about. Now take the 500 to 1,000 homes built in my first two area that are 6,000 square feet plus built in the past 25 years that have engineered and lightweight components all throughout them. Well, you don't have a, this is how we're going to fight this fire every time in this. Can't take that. And if you do, you're, you're, you're ripe for, for problems. So now you have to really read the building when you get there. I can walk up to the two and a half story balloon frame uh, and say, I don't need to read this building. All I have to do is look for a unique um, challenge that may present itself very quickly. Other than that, we know how this building is going to react. But all of uh, primarily with our newer buildings or our renovated buildings, large engineered lightweight components, we need to figure out those materials, where they are within the building. And many departments have a... a policy or whether it's written or unwritten that you know they're not going to go on a trust roof well that's great but you need to know there's a trust roof there i don't agree with that policy personally honestly but you need to know that i found myself on a trust roof that i didn't think was a trust roof what good is a policy at that point you need to figure out what's there and identify what's there so if i determine that there is a hazard or a challenge within a building when I size it up, this has probably got wooden eye joist floors. So I would consider them one of my personal biggest challenges is a, is a wooden eye joist uh, floor system. I want to know whether there's fire underneath it and it's unprotected. So within that first 20 or 30 seconds, I want to make sure I know underneath or in the basement, that walkout basement, whatever it may be in my area, I need to get a look in there. If there's fire under a wooden eye joist floor, I'm not going in on top of it. In most cases, I'm going to attack from underneath. And that's just how my building construction is guiding my tactics. If I went and took the two and a half story 
balloon frame model that I would use when I pulled up to that, which is going to be charged through the front door every time. Well, guess what? If you do that enough times over top of wooden eye joists, it's going to end bad. I think that was our first line of duty death this year was through the front door and through the floor. Um, so people are still taking those tactics that work all the time in good buildings and taking them in and putting them into lightweight buildings. And eventually it ends up getting people hurt or we don't do the right thing. In the end, it's all about either saving property, saving lives, right? We need to, if we can get the fire out by going to the rear underneath the wooden eye joist first, well, maybe that is the right tactic. It's not as sexy as running through the front door and down through the chimney. But if you do that enough times in my area, you're going to die. And, and that's plain and simple because there's 500 to 1,000 homes with wooden eye joists that are unprotected underneath. And if you take that same tactic that the great people within these urban areas are using and throw it into the more modern home, it doesn't work. Now, to expand on that, I am not a fan of saying lightweight buildings are, are the death of the fire service. They're going to kill us. I'll still go in them any day of the week. I just need to understand where the hazard is, where the challenge is, and where the fire is that's, that's protecting it. And I'll still go on a truss roof if I'm using the proper sounding techniques. And I know the truss hasn't been exposed to fire for too long and things like that. And I'm not saying everybody should, but I'm trying to, trying to expand the curriculum that we're learning about, especially about these modern materials. The, the buildings are going to kill us thing doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for me. Totally. I, and, and I tend to agree, especially, you know, and again, I'm, I'm more of a tactics guy. I, uh, you know, we, we eventually, even if we decide eventually that we're going to launch a defensive attack, right. We're eventually going to have to go in that building unless it falls down. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it just, it just, we, we have to eventually go in, um, you know, so even if we're launching a defensive attack or a transition, whatever you want to call it again, we're on nomenclature, you know what I mean? You're, we're eventually going to have to go in. We're going to search it. We're going to overhaul it, yada, yada, so on and so forth. So from the windshield of the fire truck, like I'm pulling up as a first new company officer, what sort of features on these buildings can I tell that it's going to have an, a, 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 you know, engineered I-beam or a truss roof? or a balloon frame, what, what kind of things can I look at from the windshield so that I can make that better decision? Or is it all just a pre-planned thing? I need to be out getting in my buildings more often and in when they're being built, or is it just a combination of both? Is there, is there something you can give me from the windshield, but it's ultimately I need to get out there and, and, and get out of the lazy boy and get out there and look at the buildings more? Well, sure. We know that nothing's going to replace the pre-plan. And we also know it's just about impossible to pre-plan memorize and have the time to look at all that information even on the way to an incident but i kind of like pre-planning the area so if we know that this whole subdivision is you know wooden eye joists or truss roof well that's great we know this entire subdivision is that some most areas have a certain location like that that was recently built so nothing's going to replace the pre-plan but if we pull up to a building that we don't understand, let's let's work from uh, the older errors up errors up into now. So we pull up and we we know that the homes were built within a certain era. So unless they were renovated, we can expect the materials and the methods to be normal within that era. And there's always there's always something that's going to be the uh, anomaly. But if we pull up and we know that the whole neighborhood was built from 1900 to 1930. Well, we can expect maybe nominal lumber with balloon frame. Um, I'm not a fan of the whole windows lining up thing because sometimes that's all people ever learn is if the windows line up, it's balloon frame. Well, I could show you a thousand center hall colonials I built that the windows line up on that are not balloon frame buildings, right? Um, so the, the error has more to do with the windows lining up. Um, so we know based on the era that the home was built and certain features um, as in wooden clapboard siding, the, you know, the 12 pitch roof on that two and a half story balloon frame with the wooden clapboard siding and the front porch. We, with some experience and maybe learning from some old, some senior people, we learn that all of these buildings that look like this are pretty much the balloon frame. Um, and I, I think that's easier said than, it's easier done than it is with the more modern buildings. So 
if I pulled up to a modern building, a building I suspected to be built within the past 20 or 30 years, and I don't know what materials were used, a quick way I try to talk about in the recruit classes is you're pulling up and you see a cantilever on the front of a house where, where the second floor may extend further out than the first floor, right? By a foot, 18 inches, two feet. If the building's built within the past 20 or 30 years, that cantilever is going to have vinyl soffit with half-inch plywood underneath it. And very quickly, before either entering the building, someone can get a hookup into that cantilever. By doing so, if you see wooden eye joists on the second floor of a, floor, uh, of a home above your head, you can guarantee they're below you on the first floor. Just about, right? Be a very good assumption. So there's something mm -hmm. that can be done while you're forcing the door, things like that. The other thing is if I'm going to a roof, if I'm ascending a ladder, a ground ladder to go to a roof, I'm gonna stop at the soffit and spend five seconds and pull the soffit on the way up because I'm either gonna see nominal lumber with a bird's mouth cut into it and I know the roof is built out of, out of uh, dimensional lumber to buy something, right? Or I'm gonna see a gusset plate with two, either two by four or two by six size materials holding the joint together. That's the location you're going to see that at. And if it takes five seconds of stopping to do that, you're now gaining a lot of knowledge you need. Now, in some places that might turn you around and you're not gonna get on that roof. Uh, for me, I'm going to pay more attention to the fire conditions underneath me if I'm a, getting on that roof and I know there's gusset plates as opposed to a two by 10 rafter, right? Um, so, so simple things, right? The simple way is to say, oh boy, the building's built out of engineered and lightweight products. Um, it's going to kill us. Let's shoot water through the windows, right? That's a simple thing. And listen, sometimes that may be the tactic that has to be done. But the harder thing to do is build that while you're there and adjust your tactics around what you see, what's presented, just like you would with the fire but do the same thing with the building. Al, yeah, I, that, that's all. See, that's really, that's really, really good stuff because, I, you know, it, as many roofs as I've been on, as many basement fires, I, I would have never thought to, to peel back that soffit for a second just to take a look at the roof. I think, I mean, we've, I've made plenty of attacks on attic fires from the soffit, you know, but, but never thought to take a look at the roof construction. I think that's a, that's a tremendous Tremendous tip. When you talk about some of these modern buildings, and I think maybe that's something that's, I don't know whether you agree or not, whether that's misused or, or, or what, because like you say, you'd say modern building and you're talking about the last 25, 30 years. There's some people that are listening that aren't even that old. Uh, right. You know, so, uh, you know, when you talk about that, what are we seeing in modern buildings versus some of these, what they usually call legacy buildings? Like what are the biggest differences and what are the things that can not necessarily kill us, but the things we need to look out for? So a modern building to me, and it is, there's really no definition to it. So I guess it's, uh, we could have a different era and building associated with modern. But for me, if I take the bi-level, tri-level, um, you know, for us, raised ranch, split level, uh, high ranch, we would call them, things like that, center hall colonial. If I take those that were built in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, I know I'm going to have uh, two by four exterior wall construction, things like that in the 80s or 90s with the energy code, it's two, two by six. But I know I can predict the, the materials and, and methods of construction. And they're kind of, I wouldn't call them cookie cutter, but there are less they are less custom built than homes today than what i would put into the modern home category so modern home for me is custom built home um doesn't look like the one next door like next door to it probably built within the last 20 or 30 years like you said and we are going to find usually some type of engineer components now to go sideways here i do not consider engineered and lightweight the same thing engineered is a broad category lightweight is a portion or a, something within the engineered category right it's it's engineered and design and it's not just cut and milled but not all engineered material is necessarily going to fail faster burn faster things like that i only 
consider the lightweight material to be more of a challenge because most of our engineered material, LVLs, uh, things like that, paralams, they, are, they have more mass than the material that would have been put in there 35 years ago when I did it with three two by tens, right? So I'm not, if I look at the modern homes, I want to find the specific things that I consider a challenge, which are for me personally, number one, wooden eye joist floors, right? I'm not worried how many LVLs are in the house and how many paralams, things like that, because those have mass. They're not the things we're worried about getting in on, on top of four or five, six minutes into a, a fire and falling through. For me, it's the wooden eye joist, the unprotected wooden eye joist, right, with fire underneath. And I find them in modern homes often used in floors and even as uh, in a few uh, locations as rafters. The second thing would be that roof truss or floor truss that would that would be next on my list to look for in the modern homes. I consider them a little less of a challenge when you know about them. They're, to me, they're less of a challenge because I can adjust my operational time and determine how they're affected. And quite simply, the yes, the gusset plate is a hazard. Um, but the two by four has more mass than the seven sixteenths OSB web of a wooden eye joist. So the two by four on a truss has more mass and normally will last a little bit longer than that wooden eye joist will. Um, so I would adjust my tactics based on the fire presented and those conditions, but I want to know about them. If they go unknown, uh, we're just pretty lucky, right? When nothing bad happens or the fire, our tactics worked prior to the, the structure being affected. But in a modern building, it's not all engineered components I'm worried about. It's, it's the lightweight engineered components I specifically am worried about. And I think most of us and, and should, should consider them a challenge and we need to figure out a way. And like I said before, to reiterate, I'm not saying we walk away from all these buildings. I'm saying we, in order to extend our operational time or perform the rescue or the search or whatever it may be in these buildings, we need to understand them. We need to know that they exist, that the materials exist, and how do we extend or adjust our tactics and stay in these buildings and do our job. So that's, so I think you brought it, you brought up a really great point when you're trying to identify these building components, you want to extend our operational time. You want people in there longer make the stretch all of those things so in order to do that like you talked about someone has to be able to identify these building components who are who are you depending on to identify these building components because as i said from a first new company officer standpoint i can do a little bit from the outside right like i can when i'm doing my 360 but then at least in my fire department once i do my 360 i'm the backup guy on the hand line uh the company officer on the ladder truck he's usually maybe doing his own little size up, but he's looking for search priority. He's looking for, you know, uh, possible building, you know, hazards. Who, who are who is identifying these building components and radioing them either to command or the fire attack team? Uh, I know in my fire department, again, a lot of times that defaults to maybe a safety officer, but that may be the third chief or the second chief that's showing up. It's not something that's done on the forefront. How are you adjusting that in your fire department or are you assigning somebody who's doing that so we can extend that operational time? So, so I don't think that task has been placed on anyone in specific. I, my, in my ideal world, we would all be constantly recognizing these things. Right. Okay. And that may be a little bit of a dream world um, because we have, we're, you know, we're task saturated. We're doing so much stuff. But just like I mentioned before about pulling the soft and pulling up uh, on a cantilever, if, if we went into a, a, a commercial drugstore today for a fire, one of the first things, and the tactic has been proven and taught to everybody, right? What are we doing? Somebody is reaching up with a hook or a pike pole and moving a drop seal yep. and popping that seal and what's yep. going, right? So if that becomes the quick norm, how long does it take when you enter the threshold of whatever door you're going into with whatever task in mind to just read and take out six inches of, of sheetrock above your head and notice whether you had a wooden eye joist above your head or a floor truss system. And it doesn't mean we're going to stop and run away at that point. It means now we're going to say, Hey, 
everybody, uh, take a look quick. We got, you know, wooden eye joists throughout this building. It's going to change my, you know, when I start seeing heat signatures through a floor, that's going to change my, maybe my tactics or what I do, right? Um, knowing that I may be on top of something that is more of a challenge than, say, dimensional lumber. So I don't think the test is placed on anybody. In my ideal world, we would all recognize these things or understand the challenges associated with them and relay the information when appropriate. Um, I also don't think that we should run around spending five minutes looking for things and delay our operations. I think this, hopefully, it happens as we're going. I'm very, for my area, right, for my specific area, I'm big on somebody has to get to the side or the rear because almost every home we, we go to has a walkout basement. And, you know, how many line of duty desk reports have you read of people going through the front and ended up burning up in the basement or falling through the floor or going down the stairs and doing it when there was three sliding glass doors on the Charlie side? Um, oh, it, it, this is it's happened. It's happened three or four times this year already. Right. And we're only in we're only in April. And, and you can look at the line of duty deaths, you know, so no, you're 100 percent correct. Yeah, I, I think somebody, whoever it is in your department, should be getting to the rear and. What are we looking for, right? We're looking for victims hanging out windows. We're looking for different fire conditions that we couldn't see from the front. But with that, add, you know, 10 seconds of all those things you have to do, the 100 things you're doing when somebody gets around to the rear of getting a peek inside and seeing what, if, if you think the building potentially falls within the era of some of these challenged uh, materials, some of these engineered materials that are challenges, get a peek. You know, if, if you have drywall inside, well, at least, you know, if they are wooden eye joists or trusses, they're protected by drywall, which we know gives us a little more time as long as the fire is not in the void space yet. So I think that should be part of what we're looking for, identifying. And I'm doing it, like I said before, I can't say this enough. I'm, I'm doing this because I want to perform inside the building. I don't want to write this building off just because it's built using a specific material. I want to extend the time I'm in it or be able to get to the room I wouldn't wouldn't have normally gotten to. Right. Or take the line to a place I wouldn't have normally taken it, knowing what challenges are there or 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 what uh, challenges aren't there. Right. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, as we start to wind everything down, um, you know, we get to like and like try to like to keep these about an hour total. Uh, what do you think? the firefighter, the street-level firefighter, the street-level company officer, the street-level chief, what can we do today or next week, next month, next year to increase our building construction knowledge? And like, what are, what, you know, are there any classes you recommend or, or any techniques you recommend? You know, what can we do to make our next fire a little more, and I don't want to say safe, right, because no fire is safe, but, I, but, to, I like your term, extend our operational period because we have increased knowledge, not just because of not just because we're going to go and balls to the walls and don't know and getting lucky. So so a few things. I, it's tough, right? Building construction is not sexy. If, if we bring a forcible entry door into the firehouse, everyone's going to have fun doing it. If we say we're going to talk about building construction, everybody kind of rolls their eyes. It's not sexy. So the first thing we do need to do is maybe make and for the newer firefighters, I almost broke building construction down into three levels when I started teaching it. In, because we're familiar when we learn hazmat stuff, you know, the awareness operations technician level. And I think building construction, in my head, that's how I break it down when I teach it. And you need to learn the basics first in order to understand what's going on after that. So if you, we need to somehow spend a little bit of time teaching firefighters and learning about the materials used, what they're called, where you would find them within the building, and how they react to fire. Then we can move on to, uh, let's say, in an operations level of this, identifying load-bearing walls, um, you know, looking at the roof and having the roof help you determine which walls are load-bearing within the building. From the outside of a building, you could tell which walls are load-bearing based on the roof lines. Um, you know, I... I and then from there, if you put it into the technician level equivalency, that would be completely understanding how that building's built, where the void spaces exist within that building, things like that. You know, 
we talk so much about fires and void spaces and knee walls and things like that. Well, if you knew nothing about building construction and you took your first class and during tactics and strategies, they were talking about knee walls. Do you really even know what a knee wall is yet? Probably not. So we need to, before we get into that stuff, we need to give the basics, beam, joist, rafter, header, stringer, you know, we use those terms all throughout later on in the fire service, but no one ever explains what they are. So I, I do think we should spend more time. I, I almost think that it should probably tripled, be tripled the amount of time we spend on it in our firefighter one. And I know we can't make firefighter ones longer and things like that for the volunteers. On the recruit side, we have some time um, in the career academies. We should be spending time on the nomenclature of the materials then get into maybe those five types and fire resistance ratings, things like that, and then get into the specifics. Like I said, the using the building to determine where the low bearing walls are. Um, you know, how are we going to ascend a roof uh, without the roof ladder? Well, if we go up the valley, the, the roof is 30% less steep in the valley than it is on the main runs. These are things that Someone in your fire department may know already. Every fire department has somebody in the building industry, if not more. And I think we should use those people to our advantages. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's all great, great, great stuff. Um, again, as we start to wind down, give us uh, give us some of your social media. Where are you going to be in the coming months? You know, I know we're in the midst of a pandemic, so maybe some of your teaching engagements have been canceled. But where are you teaching at? How can people get in contact with you if they want to learn more or they want you to come out and teach a building construction class in their fire department? Sure. So um... – I'm, I'm, I'm fairly new to the social media thing, and I'm not that good with it, quite honestly. Um, so I do have uh, on Instagram, Firefighters Battleground, it's called, and, uh, and I try to put out some building construction and some other training content, um, specifically building construction. And I'm kind of, I just started the other day, I'm trying to work my way through every component of a house about once a week, putting something out there. Um, and, you know, it, hopefully some people will find it useful. As far as uh, teaching engagements, um, I'm slated to be at the New York State Chief Show doing a week of live fire hands-on and then also doing some classroom stuff, um, but I, we don't know where that sits. I am going back to Firehouse this year to do a, uh, I think I'm set up to do at least a 90-minute on, uh, on basically the myths of uh, this lightweight construction um, stuff and really explaining lightweight construction. So if Firehouse is still on, I'll be down there. Uh, speaking on some building construction topics. And I, I do spend some time at a bunch of the recruit classes in the region and, you know, do a lot of the, the local county stuff. I do go out regionally and department-wide and do some classes uh, often, whether it be for, a, you know, a county association or things like that. And this is it. I'm all in. I, I'm willing to talk to anybody, anytime about anything, building construction, fire. I want to learn, you know, things from you just like you want to learn them from me so anybody wants to get a hold of me my email is timduffy813 at gmail and uh they can reach out to me there i answer it all the time and again on instagram firefighters battleground um i i'm gonna try to like i said once a week put something out there every building component through the house explain why where and when what it's made out of things like that well outstanding tim and and again i, I what a tremendous conversation, you know, and, and I know I've been sitting here taking notes, so I've learned a lot, and uh, I know the listeners have really appreciated it. Thank you for coming on the Average Jake Firefighter Podcast. Great. Thanks for having me. And everybody else, stay tuned for some closing remarks from the Average Jake Firefighter Podcast. What a great interview with Tim Duffy and great conversation about building construction. And, you know, and again, like we talked about uh you know, this stuff, it's it's not sexy, but it's important, right? Like Francis Brannigan said, the building is our enemy and we must know our enemy. And 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 not and far be it for me to disagree with Francis Brannigan. He's the father of the of building construction in the fire service. But I think this conversation that you got with Tim is that the the building's not necessarily our enemy. The building is where we're doing battle, the fire 
in the building is, is our enemy and we must know how to kill our enemy and we must understand. So fire behavior is important, but man, you have to know your battleground. You have to know your battle space. The U.S. military very rarely launches an operation onto battleground that they haven't done research on or they haven't done recon on. So, you know, we as the American Fire Service need to kind of retake that focus. And, and a lot of people are out there talking about it. Tim's just one of them. But a lot of people are out there talking about there's a renewed interest in building construction. And I think that's great because we need to get out there and look at our buildings. We need to be there from the ground up so we can understand how where we're doing battle. And, and, and I really like how Tim put it, to extend our operational period in these buildings, not to run away from them, to get this knowledge so that we can be better firefighters so that we can get in there and make that search, make that stretch, maybe even put the fire out a little faster, put the put the water where the where it needs to be so that we can get in there and search faster uh, and be a little bit safer. There's no fire that's safe, but we can operate and we can be better. And I think, again, I hope that you guys take this, take the stuff that Tim said, read his article in Firehouse Magazine uh, and it's on Firehouse Online as well. Uh, read the articles out there by other building construction pundits, read building construction for the fire service, you know, read all of those things, go out in your first due, get that nomenclature down in your fire department. Okay. If you call it a tri a trial level, make sure everybody knows that you call it a trial. I think one of the best, uh, things in our command manual that we have in our fire department is that we have a picture of a split level, what we define as a split level and what we define as a trial level, and we designate which floors. It's a big picture that everybody can see. So we're all operating on the same page when we go to a fire in a split level in my fire department or a trial level in my fire department. So I think that's one of the best things that we do. And it's in our command manual. Everybody's got to learn it. Everybody's got to understand it. So I think that's what you have to do in your fire department is get everyone on the same page using the same nomenclature. Uh, you know, with that being said, I know it's difficult to get out there and do some things now. We're in the middle of this pandemic. Uh, it, it has absolutely changed how my fire department is doing business, and I'm sure a lot of yours out there. And uh, there's some good things that have come from it, but a lot of things kind of stink, especially I, I know we've kind of reduced the amount of company level training, you know, multi-company level training that can go on. And, and it's not as fun. It's not as much, you know, fun not being able to go and hang out with some of the other companies and pull lines and compare and compare stuff. Uh, but, you know, we're doing a lot of in-house company training. And, and so we're not missing training opportunities. We're just missing some of the camaraderie and brotherhood and, and why we come to the fire service. One of the many reasons we come to the fire service as, as a job. So with that being said, I just want to kind of reiterate that everybody, please stay safe. Wear your PPE out there. Wash your hands. Use hand sanitizer. Uh, you know, this is different than anyone's ever experienced uh, in our fire service life and in our life in general. So just take care of yourselves. Embrace this opportunity to get better at something uh, that maybe you didn't have time for. I know I was speaking like that to my kids the other day, like, don't use this as an, as an excuse, you know, that school's now out and pretty much your grades are frozen and it's canceled and you're just going to go on to the next year, you know, take this opportunity then to elevate your knowledge base and something else. I know I've been using it to catch up on reading a lot. I was behind on some of my reading that I wanted to do. And so I've been using this time that I can't go out anywhere anyway to catch up on stuff around the house, to catch up on uh, some reading opportunities. Uh, man, I've been enjoying all of these online conferences. <laughs> they are great. Uh, all the stuff from, from, uh, from Elkhart Brass. Elkhart Brass has done two uh, three rather, uh, no, two so far online classes, and they're going to do another one. Uh, and then you've got like five more, four or five more sign, uh, planned. So, you know, take the time to do those things. I mean, I think it's, it's a great opportunity. We're showing that we can increase our knowledge base and we can show our love for the fire service during this time of pandemic uh, outcry that we can still grow and we can still get better at something. Uh, so take this opportunity to get better. Don't just be a lazy bump and be down in the dumps. Uh, with that being said, as I always say, I can't do what I do without the help of some great, great people. The first being Taylor's Tins. Taylor's Tins makes custom metal helmet fronts for your helmets. Those things are awesome. I wear one every day. I get compliments on it everywhere I go. People are jealous as hell out of it. So make sure you go to taylorstins.com. And you're not going to get just some, some, you know, fly by night, you know, thing or whatever, like pre-stamped note. Taylor, you're going to do, you're going to go out there. You're going to send Taylor some stuff, what you want. He's going to send you custom art 
tailored to your helmet front and you're going to get to pick and choose and move it around and get it the way exactly how you want it. And so, and it's going to be, it's one of the best products I, uh, I've ever gotten. And so I can tell you from, from experience, that thing is tough too. going to fires. It rides around. Now that my job is being a command officer, it rides around in my car all the time. It's fallen out of the car. It still looks like it's brand new. So those things are tough. I'll never have to buy another one ever again, uh, unless I ever get promoted again. So, you know, taylorstins.com. He's also got the Facebook page, Taylor's Tins. Make sure you get a, get out there, stop burning out leathers and start wearing Taylor's Tins. The other one is Vanguard Safety Wear. Vanguard Safety Wear is the makers of the MK1 Fire Glove. They also have the, the technical rescue, not technical rescue, but extrication glove, the Squad One. They're expanding their market, but I can tell you the MK1 Fire Gloves, they are made for work. I wear them every day. The, I've, the, the more fires you go to and the more you wear them, the more you train them, the better they get. I've got guys all over my fire department now wearing MK1 Fire Gloves, and they keep raving about them. They keep talking about how great they are. Uh, they make your mask up times faster because they're more ambidextrous. You have more dexterity. You have all these things that the MK1 brings to you. So go to dingusfire.com or vanguardsafetywear.com and make sure that you get the MK1 Fire Glove made for work. And lastly, the Fireground Commander Conference. Uh, if you've been doing anything with the podcast, you've been listening, then you know that the Fireground Commander Conference had to be postponed from March. It was already supposed to have happened. But now we had to move it back to August uh, due to this coronavirus pandemic. But we are still having it. And it's going to be the same great lineup. Bobby Holton, John Burris, Andy Sacadato, uh, OJ from Magic City Truck. Um, I mean, just tr- Nick Martin, all these guys. And it's going to be tremendous. It's still going to be the great, the same great lineup. We're still going to have some after work, uh, some after conference events. We're still working on kind of how to work those out right now because we've had to adjust everything. But it's still going to be uh, one of the best conferences you can come to. So if you haven't signed up, you can. We still have spots left, especially because of the change in the conference. But we're hoping that you can push back and make sure that you join us in August. All your registrations will be good to go. Everything pushes to the conference. So you don't have to re-sign up or anything like that. But if you didn't get a chance to sign up and now, you're, now your trip is opened because it's moved back to August, come join us in Henrico County in August. Uh, go to EmbraceTheResistance.com and click on the conference tab for all the other information and join us for the Fireground Commander Conference. And lastly, you know how we do. Make sure you're spending one hour a day in the gym working on your physical fitness. One hour in the day in the library reading something about the fire service, watching a YouTube video, practicing your size up, and one hour doing some sort of hands-on training. Putting your hands on the nozzles, the hose, the halligan bars, the axes that we use every day so that we can do our job. You do that, you become a pretty phenomenal firefighter, I guarantee it. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, but stay aggressive. I'm out.